0: Welcome to Inside Outside Innovation, episode 106. Amy Jo Kim is a longtime innovation consultant and author of Game Thinking. With a wealth of knowledge that she is eager to share, she talked to Brian about the concept of superfans, mainstream majority and early majority, and why identifying these demographics is crucial for success. I.O. Innovation is hosted by Brian Ardinger, founder of Next, a provider of research, events, and consulting services that helps innovators and entrepreneurs build better products, launch new ideas, and compete in a world of change and disruption. Find out more at insideoutside.io.
1: So I originally come out of science and engineering. Um, I have a PhD in behavioral neuroscience and I put myself through grad school by programming computers. And so that was my original background. Uh, I did a lot of work both in gaming and in product development, doing uh, corporate products back for Sun Microsystems, working for Paramount, doing entertainment products, working with EA for many years, doing MMOs and the sims. Um, and I also, during this time, did a lot of work with startups, uh, other than games, startups that were doing online communities, startups that were doing marketplaces. I was on the very early design team for eBay, worked with Netflix. And what I found in my career was that I was very attracted to the challenge of creating something from nothing, of bringing a new idea to life. And so a lot of what I've done is taken teams and worked with teams from idea to launch, and sometimes beyond. Um, and I've definitely worked with products that were um, that were already launched and running, but then wanted to grow, wanted to add new systems, new features, new extensions, maybe new entire parallel sites. So that's also something I've done a lot of. But what I've found is that, um, when you're innovating, meaning when you're building something new that the mainstream doesn't necessarily understand, right. certain principles lead you to success that are sometimes counterintuitive and Superfans is one of those that we'll talk more about, which is passionate high need early customers and so as I you know wove my way through my career getting these amazing opportunities to be on the original design team for The Sims, for Rock Band, you know, for some Disney products. I also was on the early design team for a lot of products you haven't heard of because they weren't hit, because mm-hmm. you know <laughs> they've been left behind by history. And being the kind of person that likes to look for patterns and, and build frameworks, because I'm a designer, and you know that's how I get better at what I do is I say, okay, what did we learn? What, you know, what was I wrong about? To use lean startup terminology. You know, what assumptions was I wrong about? I found that, you know, as a, a younger, less experienced designer, I had a whole bunch of assumptions that didn't turn out to be true when I looked back at my career and thought, okay, what, was, what did all the hits I worked on have in common? Mm-hmm. What were the things that were frustrating to me at the time? But I look back and I say, that's a big part of why that turned into a hit, a worldwide hit. Right. So game thinking is really a synthesis. Of those patterns
0: when you hear the term you know game thinking or, or games in general a lot of people probably think well that's frivolous or you know i don't want to put uh you know tokens into my into my serious app or whatever else so it's it's more than just gamifying it so talk a little bit about like what is game thinking and, and how does that differ than design thinking or 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 main startup or something
1: great question so to touch on gamification Uh, First of all, game thinking is not about making your product a game. In a nutshell, game thinking is about how you create a compelling product that makes people better at something they care about. Mm -hmm. You're not going to get there with gamification. Um, Mm -hmm. So game thinking goes beyond gamification. I don't want to trash gamification. Some people that are gamification practitioners incorporate a lot of lean and agile and smart techniques. Most people that want gamification and seek it out are looking for a quick fix. They're thinking mechanics first, like you said, sprinkling tokens. And they're really thinking about manipulating behavior right. um, because that's what's been put in the press and that's what that word has come to mean. So, uh, game thinking comes more out of game design, but game thinking isn't the same thing as game design. Um, game thinking is a core of game design that's built around learning and mastery. So let's talk about design thinking and lean and system thinking. Because game thinking really is a synthesis of elements from game design, systems thinking, design thinking, and lean agile. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the part of lean agile that game thinking very much embraces is rapid iterative prototyping, early in your project, testing your highest risk assumptions Those sorts of things, which also is part of design thinking. The testing your high risk assumptions is very much part of lean. And agile has embraced that, although agile means, lean and agile mean different things to different people, as happens with any codified system. So the testing your highest risk assumptions up front, absolutely, game thinking embraces that. The thing is, I learned that from game design, not from Lean Agile. Um, right. In okay. game design, we call that scoping and greenlining. So if you've worked on, and by the way, there's also a lot of crappy games out there that don't follow these principles. So it's not just build a game, it's the best games. And by the way, the best products I've worked on too have this thing called scoping where you do exactly that, you test your highest risk assumptions, you do technology tests, you do engagement tests, you do all kinds of different tests very early in the product because the team is not going to, or the studio in that case, with the game studios I've worked with, they're not going to invest in greenlighting the next phase of the product unless they see some scoping results. So that's not a new idea, but I completely believe in it. And every product I've worked on did it. And whether it was, on purpose, or sort of, we stumbled into it. Every hit I worked on, I should say, did it. So, when Lean and Lean Startup gave us that terminology right. to hang this idea of scoping in a really, I call it smart scoping. Completely agree with it, completely part of game thinking. Our whole first section of the book is about how to do that. So, in that sense, uh, game thinking very much embraces the, the Test your assumptions up front, identify them, test them, look at risk and um, know who your users are, know who you're targeting, study them up front, get to know them, get to know their habits, get to know um, as much as you can about them and then do rapid iter- prototyping to find the right thing to deliver to them. That's very much design thinking. Game making embraces that. Now, let me talk about where it ex- that so one of the things that's completely missing from design thinking and from lean for that matter is the notion of the innovation diffusion curve and finding your high need canary in a coal mine early customers mm-hmm. so game thinking has a term called super fan, and super fans is shorthand for high need high value early customers and if you've ever studied innovation classically You know there's something called the innovation diffusion curve, which was published in 1961 by Everett Rogers, a scientist at Bell Labs, not a tech guy, someone with no agenda other than he's a scientist. And he noticed that innovation spread through high need early adopters. They don't ever start with the majority or the early majority. He named five segments of a Bell curve, innovators, Early adopters, early majority, late majority, and laggers. I talk about this in detail in my book, and I explain to you why this concept is so important. The punchline is best summed up with a quote I saw recently from Brian Chesky, the CEO of Airbnb, an incredibly successful startup. He said, better to make something that 100 people love than something that thousands of people kind of like. Right. And another great quote that's the same message is from Paul Buckhide, who runs Y Combinator. Now he knows a thing or two about startups because he's seen a lot of them. He runs Y Combinator, he came out of Google. His quote is, build something that just a few people love, even if most people don't get it right away. Right. And so these quotes are really about this counterintuitive thing about innovation that I discovered, frankly, by being on a lot of projects that failed, which is that when you're innovating and you're building something new, the people you need to get in touch with and delight and study and learn from are not your early majority or your mainstream. They really truly are this very small slice of your market that is your early adopters, your high-need early adopters who have enough um, sophistication to give you feedback on very rough early work, or even on scenarios, but who also have a real need and represent the canary in a coal mine of your market, because they're where everybody else is going to be 18 to 24 months later.
0: Is the key from that, that you get those early people uh, that kind of have that bigger pain point or or, or willing to experiment, willing to um, put up with products that may not be 100% perfect, because they've got that need... Uh, and then that iterative process of working with that superfan is what allows you to then cross the chasm? Or is it something different?
1: Actually, it's what lets you have the opportunity to cross the chasm. You can leverage it to cross the chasm, but you won't get the opportunity to cross the chasm unless you first have an early adopter hit. What everybody forgets about Jeffrey Moore's story is that he didn't start with nothing. He started with a hobbyist hit. Mm -hmm. And so here's the punchline. The punchline is when you're starting to validate your ideas, all the lean startup stuff about validating your ideas with with customers, all the design thinking stuff about studying your customers before you build, what game thinking brings and adds and extends is who you want to do that with, and why, and a very precise step-by-step methodology to speed it up, because time is always of the essence. So those early super fans are really, in a sense, almost your co-creators in the early tuning and scoping days of your product and your idea. And if you're able to have the discipline to seek them out and find them and learn from them, it will speed up what you're doing at least 10x and it will dramatically increase your odds of successfully innovating. Now there's another difference in game thinking that honestly, full disclosure, took me probably 20 years as a game designer to understand, which is the concept of starting your iteration process and your product development process with your core learning loop, not your onboarding, not your discovery, and not your mastery level. And what I mean by that, is what we game designers call finding the fun. Sid Meier, who built the civilization series, coined that term. Finding the fun is a name for when you kind of build a little tiny rough prototype and dick around for a while, playing with Mm -hmm. it, testing it, bringing a few well-chosen testers in, tweaking it, maybe three parallel experiments are running, finding the fun. And until you've got a core of something, that is actually fun to play on some level, you're not gonna build more on top of it because that would be a waste of time and resources. That's right. game thinking. And you know, it that's the approach where and that also embraces and extends lean, agile, plus design thinking. Because those are great, and but I very much embrace those, they're great. But nowhere is there any direction there it tells you that the first thing you should actually build if you want to drive long-term engagement and not just have a leaky bucket the first thing that right. you should focus on test and build is your day 21 experience i call there's four stages in a customer journey in a in a customer journey to mastery which is the game thinking customer journey discovery where you discover what the thing is onboarding right. where you're learning the ropes habit building where you're just you're coming back for your hit. It's your day 21, day 30, day 60 experience and mastery, where you've gone deep, learned the system, sucked everything out of it, and now you're ready for more. Right. And those not everybody gets to mastery, but we hope. And not everybody gets to um, habit building. And a big part of it is, is many, many product designers do a great job of onboarding because often that's what they get funded on and then there's there's 30 days like there's no reason to come back it's not that compelling and right so if you flip that on its head in terms of your testing and product development and you start not with your onboarding but with like just enough more onboarding to get you started it can just be a form you fill out there's a lot of ways to do cheap and dirty onboarding right, right. but if you start with just enough of that and then really work on tuning your core loop tuning the core golden nugget activity that's at the heart of you the most important system that's at the heart of your offering. Your chances of building long-term engagement just went up by a hundredfold. Yeah. And I I and that's that idea, that idea gives you a roadmap for what to work on when, and that's in I think chapter eleven of game thinking. That idea also tells you what should my MVP be? It's a really hard question. Everybody says build an MVP, build an MVP. The smartest people know MVP is a liquid, not a solid. To quote Steve Vasalo, who's a design focused. Uh, it's great. It is. There's not one MVP, right? Right. But right. it's very hard to know what your MVP should be. You know, some people say, "Great, put up a fake landing page," and that's fine. But you just tested discovery. You tested your marketing message. And it has nothing to do with whether you can build a compelling offering that drives long-term engagement. But if you actually build your your core learning loop and you do it within the context of the person that is using this is learning is getting better at something if you do that everything else about lean and design thinking kind of snaps into place around that and again if what you're trying to do is not build a leaky bucket and build engagement from the ground up that is the recipe for doing that
0: That's the end of another episode of Inside Outside Innovation. If you're intrigued by the ideas Amy Jo shared here, check out her book at GameThinking.io, where she lays out exactly how to find these superfans, including how to build a survey that actually identifies the people you need. Thanks for listening. Until next time, go out and innovate.